Chapter 19, Section 1 of J. B. Beery's The Student's Roman Empire, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Student's Roman Empire, Part 2, by John Buniel Beery. Chapter 19, The Principate of Galba and the Year of the Four Emperors, Section 1. Galba and Piso. It has been already explained that with the death of a princeps, the principate ceases until a successor is duly elected. This constitutional principle was exhibited in an unusually clear light at the death of Nero. For the interval, the interprincipate, so to speak, lasted seven days. And the circumstances were unprecedented. Hitherto, the state had been practically though not theoretically, the inheritance, as it were, of one family. But Nero had neither begotten nor adopted a son, and at his death there was no one belonging to the Julian or Claudian family to claim the allegiance of the Praetorian guards and the suffrages of the Senate. Consequently, there arose many pretenders to the Principate, and there may have been even some thoughts of restoring the Republic, though this was hardly seriously contemplated. It was a moment, at least, when people talked much of the Senate and the Roman people, but the actual decision lay in the hands of the armies. But the armies were not at one, and the result was a series of civil wars, in the course of which four emperors rapidly succeeded one another within the space of less than a year. The Praetorian soldiers had declared for Galba, and to him most eyes in Rome and probably in Italy looked. Having equipped himself for a contest of whose issue he despaired, Galba was waiting at Clunia in Terraconensis, supported by the councils of Otho, Titus Vinius, and Cornelius Laco. His freedman, Icelus, who was acting in his interests at Rome, arrived with the news of Nero's death, seven days after the event, and Galba assumed the title of Caesar. The creation of an emperor in the provinces was a new departure, and it served to give men a glimpse into the real conditions on which the empire depended. A secret of the empire was revealed, according to a famous saying of Tacitus, that a princeps could be made elsewhere than at Rome. The progress of the new princeps to Rome was slow and stained with bloodshed. He was recognized by the Senate, who sent a deputation which met him at Narbo Marshes, but rival candidates for the supreme powers sprang up on all sides, some formidable, others insignificant. The pretenders who arose in Spain and Gaul were easily disposed of, but more formidable were the pretensions of Fonteius Capito, the legatus of Lower Germany, and of Claudius Masser, the governor of Africa. Masser professedly aimed at restoring the Republic and issued coins with the inscription Pro Praetore in the Republican style. He was killed by the imperial procurator at Galba's instigation. Capito was slain by some of his officers who supported Galba, but without Galba's orders. The army of Upper Germany regarded with hostility the emperor who had been elevated in Spain and still desired to elevate their own general, Virginius Rufus, but he persisted in his refusal. Galba, however, 
fearing his popularity with the army, summoned him to his presence and forced him to accompany him to Rome. Meanwhile, the Praetorian prefect, Nymphidius Sabinus, made an attempt to seize the empire for himself. He supported his claim by pretending to be an illegitimate son of the emperor Gaius. But he miscalculated his influence with the Praetorians, who swore fidelity to Galba, and he was cut to pieces. The chief supporter of Nymphidius was the consul-designate, Syngonius Varro, and he was put to death by Galba's order. The slaughter of Petronius Turpilianus was also commended, without any form of trial, because Nero had appointed him commander of his forces. When Galba approached Rome in October, he was met at the Milvian Bridge by marine soldiers who had been enrolled by Nero. Galba seems to have regarded them as enemies, and ordered his soldiers to charge them and enter the city over their bodies. Thus the path of the new emperor was stained with blood. Servius Sulpicius Galba was a man of family and wealth. The Senate had reason to see in his elevation the prospect of a return to constitutional government. There is evidence to show that he wished to model his policy on that of Augustus, but he was not strong enough to hold his own. His talents were of very mediocre quality, and he has been described as rather free from vices than distinguished by virtues. He cared little for fame, nor was he grasping, though he was parsimonious to a fault. He was much under the influence of his friends and freedmen, and in difficulties depended on the advice of others more than on himself. His apparent wisdom was often mere indolence, but he was not equal to the greatness which was perhaps thrust upon him. All, says Tacitus, would have agreed that he was fitted for empire if he had not been an emperor. His short principate is marked by a succession of blunders. In the first place, his policy in Gaul had been unwise. He identified his own cause with the abortive revolt of Vindex, and while he rewarded those cities which had joined in that movement, he punished Lugdunum, the Treveri, the Lingonis, and other communities which had remained faithful to Nero. This policy alienated the Germanic legions. In Rome, the severity of Galba, and especially his treatment of the marine soldiers, produced a bad impression, and his strict ideas of discipline were not popular. He alienated the Praetorian guards by refusing to give them the donative which Nymphidius had promised in his name. Nero had left an empty treasury, and the financial measures which Galba resorted to were very ill-advised. On the one hand, he remitted a tax of two and a half percent, of which the nature is unknown. But on the other, he made an attempt to force those who had profited by Nero's liberality to disgorge their booty. He appointed a commission to exact from those who had received presents from Nero nine-tenths of the amount. But as most of these persons had spent their fortunes as lightly as they had gained them, the commission had very little result for its labors. Then Galba commanded that application should be made to those who had received any money from the favorites of Nero, an absurd measure which led to endless lawsuits. And besides being unprofitable, this policy was injurious, 
for it created many enemies to the emperor. Moreover, the parsimony of Galba verged on meanness, and was unfavorably contrasted with the open-handedness of his predecessor. It was rendered all the more glaring by the rapacity of the three men on whose counsels he leaned, Venius, Laco, and Icelus. He had appointed Laco praetorian prefect, and he had raised his freedman Icelus to equestrian rank. Vinius was designated as his colleague in the consulship for the year 69. These three exerted such an influence over Galba that they were called his three pedagogues. Another circumstance which increased the dissatisfaction with Galba was that he spared Tigellinus, for whose slaughter Rome was clamoring. The freedmen, who had been the intimate advisers of Nero, were put to death, but Vinius, who was betrothed to the daughter of Tigellinus, a widow with a large fortune, exerted his influence to save him. Soon after the 1st of January, 69 A.D., disquieting news of a mutiny in the army of Upper Germany reached Rome. Galba had replaced Virginius by Hordionius Flaccus, an old general who was incapable of maintaining discipline. Galba was in a difficulty. He had no forces which he could trust to oppose this movement. The Praetorians were lukewarm. The Spanish legion, the 7th Galbiana, had been sent to Pannonia, and he had dismissed the German bodyguard of his predecessor. There were some divisions of Germanic and Illyric legions temporarily stationed at Rome, but they were small and uncertain. Galba was decided by his advisers to adopt a consort in the empire. This course might satisfy the wishes of the German army, who clamored for a new imperator. Two names were proposed as candidates for association in the Principate. Vinius supported the claims of Otto, but Laco, who always opposed Vinius, and Icelus, recommended Piso Licinianus. The consultations of this Comitia of the Imperium ended in the choice of Piso. He was of ancient lineage and high character, but he was unpopular, and under the circumstances his choice was a mistake. He was adopted under the name Servius Sulpicius Galba Caesar on January the 10th, but the measure did not in the least tend to conciliate the soldiery. When the old emperor announced his choice to the Praetorians in a storm of rain and thunder, and appealed to the example of Augustus, who had in a like way associated with himself Agrippa and Tiberius, the soldiers maintained a sullen silence. Only the officers and the front ranks uttered the acclamations which made Piso an imperator. On this occasion, Galba might have retrieved his first mistake of not giving a donative, but on this point he was obstinate. In the Senate, Piso's election was received with approbation. But while this measure of Galba failed in its intended effect, it stirred up against him an active enemy in the person of Marcus Salvius Otto, who had supported Galba from the first, and was indignant that Piso was preferred to himself. He had been embittered by the long years of exile in Lusitania, to which Nero had condemned him. He was weary of restraint, he was deeply involved in debt, and was ready to risk his life unsparingly for the chance of sovereignty. Moreover, he was afraid of the jealousy of Piso, 
and his ambitious plans were fostered by soothsayers and astrologers to whose influence he was subject. The enterprise, too, seemed hopeful owing to the general dissatisfaction with the government of Galba. Those who were beginning to regret the golden days of Nero might hope for their revival under the rule of the luxurious Otho. The guards were easily corrupted by two of their number who had embraced the cause of Otho. Two manipulators, says Tacitus, undertook to transfer the empire of the Roman people, and they did transfer it. The decisive moment came on the morning of the 15th of January. Galba was sacrificing before the temple of Apollo on the Palatine, and the omens were inauspicious, portending, the Eurispic said, a foe in his own household. Otto was standing by, when a freedman announced to him, according to a preconcerted signal, that his engineer awaited him. The conspirator immediately descended through the house of Tiberius, on the northwest side of the Palatine, and made his way to the golden milestone in the Forum. Here he was met by twenty-three soldiers, who hailed him as imperator, placed him in a litter, and hurried him to the camp. Galba, meanwhile, was still importuning the gods of an empire no longer his, when the news of Otto's entry into the camp reached him. After much irresolution, it was decided that Piso should precede Galba to the camp and attempt to quell the mutiny. Then a false report came that Otto had been slain, and the emperor no longer hesitated. Accompanied by a cohort and a large multitude of the populace who had declared themselves on his side, he set out for the camp. Before he left the Palatine, a soldier ran up to him with a bloody sword, crying that he had killed Otto. Fellow soldier, said Galba, who ordered you? But there, in the meantime, Otto had been saluted imperator by the Praetorians, and the regiment of marine soldiers had also joined him. Otto armed the troops, and led them from the camp into the city to suppress the opposition of the populace and the senators. Galba and Piso had halted in the forum, uncertain whether to advance or to return to the palace. When the cohort which surrounded Galba perceived the advance of Otto's forces, the standard-bearer dashed the imago to the ground, thus showing that the soldiers sympathized with Otto. The people fled from the forum. The litter in which Galba was born was overturned near the pool of Curtius, and the emperor was hewn in pieces. The murder of Vinius followed, and Piso, who had sought refuge in the temple of Vesta, was dragged out and slain. The Senate did not delay to recognize the imperator whom the Praetorians had chosen. The title of Augustus was immediately conferred, and the tribunician power decreed. End of chapter 19, section 1